Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. See, gentlemen, I figured that if we blew ourselves now, we'd be nice and relaxed for a 9pm dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Casey Atkins? Uh, I mean, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Down the line from the Gold Coast. (laughs) Tim Byron. Where or where could my baby be? We normally talk about five songs from uh, the Australian charts that hit number one throughout the 90s. But if this is the first time you're listening to uh, 90% Hits podcast, you will find that we are actually at the end of the road, as Boys to Men might say. And we are only and we down can't to... can't let go. We, we, we can't let go, but somehow we will find the strength to do it. Because we've only got four songs left to talk about in the 90s. We are currently sitting in July of 1999. And there's quite a bit, few big runs, and uh, that takes us to the end. So we'll talk a little bit more about what happens after here for us uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the podcast. But let's get straight into our songs. Our first song was number one from the 11th of July, 1999. And this is If You Had My Love by Jennifer Lopez. Okay, that was Jennifer Lopez with If You Had My Love, number one, for three weeks uh, in July of 1999. Casey Atkins, why don't we start with you? If you had her love that she gave you or her trust, would you lie to her? Um, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that question. Um, look, we talked last week about Britney Spears. It was just last week, wasn't it? Yes. And, yep. and how wonderful uh, I thought Baby One More Time was and how it just started this whole thing and this is just the the natural next step and it was only like a couple of months later and this was the next thing to come after baby one more time started it all now i love baby one more time for what it was but for what it spawned eh, maybe not so much this this doesn't this doesn't excite me terribly much at all it's quite it, i find this really really forgettable i find her not appealing in any way um and the clip is weird i just watched it tonight and it's that Weird guy just like seemingly whacking off to um, internet clips of her, which is strangely before its time, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but is what it is. But I, I oh, I'll fleck. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, um, yeah, I find not a lot to like in this. Like, it doesn't have anything... It's got its hooks and everything, but there's nothing um, that really grabs onto me as an example of the genre, like something like Baby One More Time or, or a number of other things. I, I find it pretty forgettable, to the point where I really have to struggle to remember the, the main melody line even now. <laughs> I listened to it like half an hour ago. <laughs> <coughs> okay, Tim Byron. Huh? Yeah. There you go. But um, yeah, for for me, this is another like Casey. This is a song that I find pretty forgettable. Like I, I was listening to it not half an hour ago, and uh, now I'm sort of sitting there going, "If you had my," uh, it's gone. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's not a that uh, memorable song. It's a song that was produced by um, Rodney Jenkins, who calls himself Dark Child, and that was the same guy who produced uh, Say My Name by Destiny's Child, The, the Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica, and um, you know, a few Whitney Houston things from the time period, and all the way up to um, Telephone by Lady Gaga and Beyonce. So he's like a one of those sort of jobbing producer kind of guys who is going to give you exactly what's cool at a particular time, but it's not necessarily going to last beyond that time. Yeah. And... Um, and yeah, so this is sort of that. Like, it, it really does sound like 1999. It's got that same kind of um, sort of weird production kind of stuff that's sort of getting towards the, the Neptune's Timberland kind of stuff that uh, TLC's uh, No Scrubs, I was about to say Unpretty, but No Scrubs has. And um, yeah, it, it's all right, I guess, but like, it doesn't stay in my memory. And it's just one of those songs that you sit there and think, why was this number one? And why was it number one for so long? It was just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that's what you're doing in Australia, go for it. But yeah. no, I didn't see it. Tim Coyle. Well, I guess the answer to the question as to why it was number one as it was, was the, the celebrity factor that yes. Jennifer Lopez already had as mm. an actress um, was contributed Towards that, was was this her debut single? Or? I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, that explains it to a, a point, I guess. Kind of. There's there's a story, yeah. but um, I mean, I, I'll have to disagree that this was a, a cash in on the Britney Spears thing. I almost think it was a reaction to that because this is like a Mariah Carey song. It's a Mariah Carey B side, just tr- dressed up in some Neptunesy style trappings as Tim Byron says um and yeah it's kind of it's Mariah Carey b-side there's nothing particularly interesting in uh the melody or the lyrics or the delivery or the beats or anything like that it was just a cash in to get Jennifer Lopez's face um on an album cover and shift a lot of units uh as as quickly as possible so yeah there's no great merit to the to the song and Tim Byron's her um, quip is is entirely accurate because you know what Jan Arden's insensitive is a much better song than this one yeah and, yeah. Prob- and probably more memorable so yeah. there you go that's how that's how that's how uh, catchy this is uh, I'm surprised I, I remember this song very very clearly I could sing you pretty much the whole thing um, but I guess the thing is I was well into my record store days at this point and in suburban Campsie, yes, I sold thousands of copies of this album and single. And it was the era of CD singles and I heard this song several times a day. Um, yeah, it was Jennifer Lopez's first single. It was her back of her film career. But um, she started her career... Do you guys know who Selena is? No. Yeah, sort of she was like the Latino Latin, sort of... Yeah. 
pop star like, that got killed. Pop star who... And, um... Yeah. Jennifer Lopez was, came like, to... killed by a crazy fan, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I often think of... I always think of, like, when someone, like, One Direction gets big. It's like, why can't they have fans like Selena's? But, um... <laughs> but no one gets the joke because it's too obscure. But, uh... It's... Uh... She played... Selena in the biopic. That's where everyone heard of her. So she oh, sang in that film, okay. and she kind of, you know, it's almost like a uh, Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirl sort of thing. Although I think she was famous before, but you know that thing of she did a musical, so she sang, and then she went yeah. to acting, broke it into the American market, and then just went well. I, they I know that she can sing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they just basically put, you know, the biggest money behind her, paid for Jenkins and all that sort of people just to get together and write her a song. So, um, I don't think much of this song either. It's, like, it is in my head. I didn't know it. But it's not, um, it's not something that stuck with me or anything like that. I didn't buy the album. Uh, and let's face it, I didn't really follow her career. I don't know if anyone else has around the table. Followed her career? <laughs> I mean, I could name you some other songs. Um, um, it, was that Let's Get Loud? Was that her? Oh yes, I think it and was, I, and I hate her for that because just that's just I've got I've heard that song sung by so many bad singers in like cabaret cover band situations or karaoke. Well, or there was or also that, the or... incredibly misjudged "I'm Keeping It Real" uh, Jenny from the Block. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Jenny from the Block. It's catchy, but you shouldn't pay attention to the lyrics for these <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. Um. I'll, I'll give her um, Genie in the Bottle. That was her, wasn't it? Or was that someone else? No, oh, that no, was Chris Sennery. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, well, there she, you go. She had a number one like a couple of years ago that I had to write about for The Vine and that was even more boring than this song. So, yeah, okay. On the floor with Pitbull. Oh. Look, there is, there is the other side of it which is it does have that Ricky Martin sort of Latino influence thing that, that sort of, in, in a lot of her songs, maybe not so much in this one. There is a if bit If you watch it. the video... Uh, like, did you see the weird bit in the middle where suddenly we we go into the like the ones and zeros matrix style of the internet, and suddenly <laughs> she's like dancing in the video clip to a totally different song, and it does it for about thirty seconds, and she's doing this sort of Latino dancing kind of stuff, and then it goes back into the internet and back into the original well, song. It's, it's, it's kind of bizarre and unexplained. It's kind of like the fiddle. <laughs> it's like the fiddle in Bewitched. It's just kind of there to say, "Hey, she's Latina," you know, yeah. <laughs> as if yeah. you didn't know from the surname mm. Lopez. Mm. And- <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know how much more we have to say about J-Lo at this point. Um, yeah, the one thing I do have to say about this song is that, um, according to the Wikipedia page for this, um, th- it was originally a song that was written by Dark Child for um, an artist called Shantae Moore, and it was called, um, you know, If You Have My Love or I Have Your Love or something like that. And, um, and apparently the story is that... Um, Puff Daddy, who was basically the executive producer for the J-Lo album, um, heard that song when, it was, when Dark Child was in the studio and was like, we want that one for J-Lo. And Dark Child was like, oh, that girl has it. And he's like, no, nope, we want this for J-Lo. So he rewrote it a little bit and that's the song he got. So there's this other version of the song floating around by this other girl. And did honestly, he... I listened to that one today because I figured oh, we've got to have something to talk about with this song. And, did, um, did Puff Daddy hold Dark Child over a balcony by his ankles like Suge Knight? With <laughs> yeah, the I want to hope so. But actually, J-Lo's version of the song is better than the other girl's one. Like, she's got more of a... She's got a better voice, I think, or a more, a more distinctive um, way of singing it, and she gets across the melody a bit better and things like that. So, like, I, I was sort of going into this thinking, oh, J-Lo's not really... You know, she's not very 
um, distinctive as a singer or anything like that. But actually, no, she's better than the other girls. So she's got something there. Yeah, better for Lopez, better than the other girls. Yeah, that's right. So I guess I'm trying to choose my favourite film. It's either Made in Manhattan or Anaconda. Um, <laughs> not, not Gigi. Gigi. Uh, Can we talk about the fact that now on. everybody wants... Or not everybody. Or there, was that, there was that long period where everybody did the like J-Lo versions of their name. Yeah, that like, is... That's something. Well, it's still that's going. Still a, that's still in Lexicon. Yeah. So that's worth talking about in terms of, yeah. you know... Her Jennifer legacy. Lopez. Cultural, yeah, Jennifer Lopez. Her achievements. Her achievements in life. <laughs> Our second song of tonight was number one for seven weeks uh, from the 1st of August 1999 and this is Last Kiss by Pearl Jam. Okay, that was Last Kiss by Pearl Jam, number one for seven weeks uh, from the 1st of August, 1999. Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so Pearl Jam, we get to talk about Pearl Jam. Who <laughs> Finally! Are, well, this is one of, one of these things of probably, look, I would argue they're actually the biggest band in their particular genre of the 90s. Uh, plenty of people will argue with that, but I, but I have my reasons. Now... Um, going to the school I went to, and I think this might be pretty reflective of a lot of high schools across Australia at the time, Pearl Jam probably were the most popular band yep. at the school, comfortably so. And look, I still see posts from whole classmates on Facebook who saw them quite recently, and that was everywhere. Um, they've maintained their popularity. Hi, Aaron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that too. And... <laughs> Also, though they were a band who uh, uh, geeks and nerds such as myself would pay their due, and I quite like them. And also, um, yeah, the the more mainstream um, kids loved as well. And yeah, they were just phenomenally popular. And it's odd that it's this song of all of their songs <laughs> that we get to talk about in this podcast. Uh, because, yeah, it's a, it's a cover of a Wayne Cochran song that flopped and then had a brief resurgence two, year, resurgence two years after he re-recorded it and then was covered a few times. And it's the classic American teen tragedy mm. um, teen tragedy song. And in a way, it's odd that Pearl Jam covered this song because they their whole shtick was built around not being the cliched teen band of jocks and cheerleaders, 
but they hone in on this song, which is kind of the classic tale thereof. And it's a bit leader of the pack, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very leader yeah. of the pack, actually. So, yeah. look, it's um, it, it's an odd one because like, it comes on the headphones and Eddie Vedder's voice is like getting into a warm bath and everything's familiar and nice enough, but, you know, it's a cover of a decent song, but not anything special um they don't do anything particularly interesting with it and that's the thing of all the pearl jam songs we could have talked about in this podcast it's this one which is just well, it got them to number one so good we get to talk about them but yeah it's kind of a nothing track you know what given, given the other songs we have to talk about tonight i reckon we'll be able to actually spend a little bit of time talking about some other pearl jam yeah. songs <laughs> in, in, in a minute yeah. so yeah. Yeah. Casey yeah I think this is fucking terrible I think this really? is really bad like to, to just hone in specifically and talk about this song Last Kiss by Pearl Jam and we'll talk about Pearl Jam but I think this is awful I think it's phoned in and lazy and it kind of sounds like the drum track is pieced together from loops like there's just like the, the bar section, the fill section, and the intro section that's just kind of put together. Um, I just see nothing interesting going on. He sings out of tune half the time. I know he does that anyway, and that's part of his charm, but I just, I can't really come at it in this song specifically. Um, and I think I remember even at the time, and I, of course I remember it really, really well from the time. Now, when uh, Tim Coyle talks about Pearl Jam being probably the most popular band at the school, so we went to the same school, and yeah, he's right. They were massive, and I went through a phase, probably about this point of not really liking them that much, because they just weren't doing a lot that I liked anymore. Like, I liked the, the first couple of records, and this hanging around just just was like... Like, this is number one. This isn't even flow, you know. This isn't this isn't daughter. This isn't alive. Like, this isn't what Pearl Jam can do. What the fuck is this doing at number one? I think I'm. And, and at this point, I was like, okay, I think I'm done. I must be done with Pearl Jam. And that's what I remember about this. And I listen to it now and just think pretty much the same thing. It just doesn't do what. I still, you know, can listen to the old Pearl Jam records and love them, but I, I can't get any of that from listening to this. Tim Byron. It's funny that you're talking about how Pearl Jam were the, the biggest band at your school, because I don't think they were at mine. I think the biggest band at my school was Metallica. Okay. And, like, Pearl Jam, like, were liked, but they weren't, like, that liked. But, you know, I liked them um, at the time. I um, We'll talk a bit more about the rest of Pearl Jam later in the podcast, I suspect. But, um, yeah, by the time we got to The Last Kiss, I'm pretty sure I'd heard the song before it was released as, as a single single, because they had... I think there was this song and some other one that they'd released. They do a Christmas single kind of thing. Mm. And I think I had actually downloaded or, or heard an MP3 or maybe a real audio file of the song. Real audio! Uh, yes! Real audio. Yeah, wow! Yeah. And streaming is back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that someone had posted. And, and so I remember listening to it like once or twice and going, eh, it's all right. You know, as a B-side kind of like released on like a Christmas fan club single kind of thing, eh, it's all right. Yeah. And so, you know, the reason it was a number one was that they put it on the um, the CD. They released it as a single to benefit like hot 
refugees from Kosovo, um, from the Balkans conflict. And so it was sort of a charity single kind of thing that they released as a result. And so by that stage, like I, I remember hearing it or seeing it around and going, wow, that's number one. Really? It, it was yeah. just, just a buddy here. Sorry, Tim. Just, you know, just to get clear this point up for anyone listening as well. It was also because it's not on an album. So right. you know you have you had to buy the single. Yeah, so yeah. just just the entire Pearl Jam yeah, yeah. fan base went out and bought a single for once, which they never really yeah. do because yeah. it was an album. So that was um, to the point where, like, I think it was petitioned to be a single. Uh, maybe not in the US, and so hence you know they all went out and bought it, it, got to number one, and yeah. So there's there's a that's the reason it's number one. It's not necessarily the best song. So yeah, no, it makes yeah, sense. Well, yeah. But I think there's. Pearl Jam fans will get it to number one for like a couple of weeks and then it will kind of go away, you know, like for this kind of thing. Um, it obviously struck some sort of chord in a mainstream somewhere. Like it got it got big on the back of more than just the Pearl Jam fans, um, which is the interesting thing about it in a way, because uh, I kind of agree with Casey about the song um, that, yeah, it's, it's kind of pretty repetitive, really. And like, it's not sort of their best performance. I like that it's kind of a bit tossed off in a way, because Pearl Jam have had a tendency to kind of to over-polish things, and I kind of like that this one's not quite as polished as, say, even Flow or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely not my favourite Pearl Jam song by some distance, and, yeah, it's a bit boring and repetitive, and Eddie Vedder's vocals on this are not his best, and, but it's a number one. We're talking about Pearl Jam, so I, you sort of have to give him some credit for that, but, yeah. Danny, tell us about this, because you're obviously the big Pearl Jam fan who knows about petitions in the US. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I like this I, I like this song because, I guess, first and foremost, I like the song. Uh-huh. So, it's a great song. Like, it's a lovely little, uh, what do they call it? It's a death disc. Uh, those, what are, what are called to call it? A death like, disc. A what? What? Death disc. Death disc. Yeah. Is that a yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like not, you know the, the the sort of teenage tragedies. Yeah, like, teen, teen like, tragedies. Tell Laura I love her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sort yeah, of yeah. stuff. Teen Angel and Dead Hazard. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're finding out what happened to Mary here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she was out that day in his daddy's car. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of like the song. And look, I I think yeah, if it was um this is our new single and we've spent time in the studio and this is what we're trying to say, then yeah, it is pretty terrible. It was a song for a charity. They tossed it off. They picked a cool little song, just knocked it out and it's great. Introduced a whole new generation of people to this song and um, introduced me to the song, really. I didn't really know it before. And it was fun. It was just, and as a Pearl Jam fan, it was just another Pearl Jam song. It didn't, I didn't hold it in any higher self-esteem. It was just high esteem. It was just like, yeah, it was there. And it's kind of fun. I still listen to it to, it to this day every so often. I'm like, yeah, because more than a lot of songs around that period, I actually like that kind of music more. Mm. Like, you know, and um, I love that sort of 50s rock. And yeah, it sounds sort of lovely to me. It's not necessarily a big statement or anything like that. Um, and so... Anyone else got anything else to say about Pearl Jam, or should we move on? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) Before we do that, there is one other thing I want to talk about with this single, which is the B-side. Which was? Soldier of Love, Hmm. which is just, like, I quite like uh, Last Kiss as a 50s song, but Soldier of Love is just one of the greatest songs of the genre. 
and it's a live version on the B side, and they're the only two tracks in the single. Do you know? You know Tim Byron, you might know the song. I don't know. Yeah, I know Soldier of Love. It's um something that the Beatles covered. And, um, yeah, on like the covered on his album mm. and stuff. Yes, like on that, his first so. record as well. So it's just one of those songs that's around, and to hear Pearl Jam do it was like, yeah, they know their stuff. Like there was a bit of that. It's like, yeah, you know, around this time I wasn't, and like I guess UMI and Even and Sloan and all those bands were in my life already, and you could just tell those bands were like record nerds who just knew all the right records to drop, and kind of Pearl Jam wasn't that band. Like, and I was kind of growing out of Pearl Jam at that point because. You know, but I guess they did drop sort of different bands like 80s American underground bands that I didn't really understand. But for them to go, hey, we're big sort of mojo record nerds as well and do this do this song and in particular Soldier of Love, I was like, hey, that's cool. Like, you know, it's not like you're covering Under the Bridge. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Who was it that did that? All Saints. Uh, all Saints. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you wiped that out of your brain, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's talk a bit about Pearl Jam, and it's going to be a kind of strange discussion, but um, I guess let's just start with the start. Like, how do we... Fi- like, Casey, maybe start with you. You like the early well, records? Yeah, I mean, we might as well start with me, because cause I'll have little to contribute after, <laughs> um, after a couple of paragraphs, because... Um, so I think 10 is fantastic and um, that remix of 10 from a couple of years ago if you guys heard it is amazing oh yes because like, Brendan O'Brien just Brendan O'Brien remix of 10 which my my only problem that I had from 10 when I listened to it five years later is that my god this sounds fucking dated like it is so yeah. dated and then that remix just cleans it up and makes it sound like it should have sounded all along and it's great you know what's terrible about that disc though is what? that you put it on and then it hits the bonus tracks of State of Love and Trust and stuff, which they didn't remix, and then it just <laughs> suddenly sounds terrible again. Yeah, like, right. it sounds tinny and dry. Yeah. It's like, what? Oh, come on. <laughs> to do the B-sides as well. Come on. Anyway. Um, so there's that, and and Versus, I thought, was had some really, really great stuff on it as well. And then I think it was almost in reaction to that whole Pearl Jam becoming the, the biggest band at the school, and a bit of a... You know, the people who liked it kind of thing. Um, there was a bit of a... Um, I don't know. There was... It, it, they beca- became kind of a jocks band and and they were sort of militant in how much they liked Pearl Jam and how much you had to like Pearl Jam. And I was like, well, I'll just... Maybe I'll just listen to UMI. You heard of them? No? Excellent. All right, I'll go there. <laughs> and, um, it, and, it, and it became a bit of that. And I also did think that they, they, they did really sort of suffer from lack of originality for me. I think they, they ran out of... I not ran out. That's... No, I'll, I'll stick it. They kind of ran out of hooks that, that appealed to me um, after a little while. So with things like No Code and Yield and stuff like that, where there was... And Vitalogy, there was um, all right bits and pieces. Um, like there were moments, but as, as records on the whole, they just didn't um, They didn't do it for me. I didn't like Better Man very much. I didn't, that didn't... I think that's where it went downhill for me. Right. For me, I was I didn't really hear much of Pearl Jam. Like I guess maybe I might have heard Alive or Jeremy or something like every yeah. so often. But for me, like the first Pearl Jam that I remember hearing very much was um, I Got Id or I Got Shit, depending on what you want to call well, it, I because it's yeah. called one or the other. Um, which was an, for a song that they released at the same time as um, you know in, in late '95 at the same time as 
Free as a Bird by the Beatles and beat it, you know, it got higher in the charts than the Beatles did. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, what's that? Who are these Pearl Jam guys? And so that was my introduction to Pearl Jam, listening to that song, which um, I really liked. And um, so, yeah, so for me, um, the Pearl Jam that I kind of grew to love and know was the Pearl Jam after they, you know, gone into the ditch. Like, you know, they were such new young fans Pearl Jam, like that was something that was really big in them, and like you know Neil Young in in the decade liner notes talks about how um, you know he saw the the fame and things from Harvest and he decided he didn't like it, and so he went into the ditch and released the albums like Time Fades Away and On the Beach and things like that that were weirder, odder kind of things. And Pearl Jam did the same thing with Vitality and um, and No Code, like they were going to release like just weird stuff, and and so there's a lot of weird, interesting kind of things on that album, and that's what I came to to like with Pearl Jam, and so I always kind of like that stuff more than I liked Versus and 10. And um, so, yeah, so for me, like, yeah, No Code is sort of my Pearl Jam album, the one that I sort of first came to to listen to. And um, and maybe that's something just being slightly younger than you guys, like the jocks kind of missed Pearl Jam. And when they were starting <laughs> to hear Pearl Jam, it was sort of the weirder stuff. And they're like, oh, oh whatever. But okay. New Metallic were there doing Load and things like that. And so they were interested in that. So, yeah, so um, I, I was really into Pearl Jam. I remember going on to Pearl Jam um, IRC channels yeah, um, wow. in, in like 97, 98 or so, and I saw them live at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. Danny was probably there as well, I suspect. Yeah, um, what year was that? 98. Yeah, I would have been there. Was yeah, that Ed was well. rocking with the free world like they always fucking do? <laughs> yeah, probably, I forget. Yeah. I, re- I remember <laughs> thinking it was great at the time, and I suspect if I went back and listened to a bootleg of that, I think it's pretty terrible now, because they, guitar solos do go on and they're pretty shitty, really. <laughs> like, so like you know it's, yeah yeah Tim Coyle what about you um first first memory is seeing even flow on rage and being eh, whatever about the song and subsequently hearing alive and that was probably the moment I was like oh yeah that's actually really an amazing piece of work mm. um to fit that kind of story into to a song like that so, yeah, that was probably the, well, not probably, that was the song that really got me interested in, in them. And, yeah, I'm probably uh, 10 and verses. Uh, I think two, two excellent albums and two great albums to start with. Um, I think kind of what Casey is saying about the subsequent albums, um, that they they ran out of uh, ran out of ideas i don't agree with that so much because i think in essence they were very much a band who were committed to their fans and to people who bought albums and obsessively listened to them and for people who collected that kind of stuff because so well they were certainly committed to giving their fans a lot of things to buy yeah they were, they, well they were, good. they were quite prolific and yeah, yeah um, well, when they put out the 30 live albums in one go <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just uh, yeah <laughs> i just think they they put a lot of material out there because there was it was a big market for it for mm, one yeah. and i think also they were those kinds of guys growing up they were music fans themselves they kind of appreciated that um they knew what it was like to be so immersed in a band's music that you just want everything and you want all the weird ideas as well as the the singles and mm. stuff like that so mm. yeah i think i think that is kind of why things went to where they did for mine i quite like vitality and no code and there's a lot of interesting things going on there and i think it's 
they're they're brave records in a way because they're actually willing to try things and be weird and sometimes that fails but sometimes it works and they're actually happy to do that whereas Mm. a lot of bands are very scared of doing Mm. that and letting that show whereas yeah they were happy to do it and look i've got a lot of time for eddie vetter um uh, others may not agree but as a public figure i think he's been great and yeah have always been very impressed by him uh i also disagree with casey in that um <laughs> in that hey, really? what i did actually say in, in in fairness what i said was they ran out of stuff that was of interest to me no no yeah. and i and i yeah okay yeah. no i know so, but um fuck you <laughs> <laughs> uh i really love middle pearl jam i yeah, guess right. we could call it right it's um uh i like i kind of ten and verses kind of passed by like i knew the songs on the radio and it wasn't really my thing and it's only in recent years that I've gone back to those records and really appreciated them for what they are. I knew the singles. God, I knew the singles pretty well. Mm. But um, but I didn't really you know, know the albums and stuff like that. 10 in particular, I only bought on that reissue that you talked about, Casey. Mm-hmm. Because I was freaking 10 when that, like 10 or 11 when that record came out. Like just, Perfect age? Yeah, I just didn't buy yeah. it, right? So, yeah. um, and then I ended up buying 400 other albums and then just never got back to it. So... Uh, yeah, it's those, it's really, for me, when I started hearing songs, uh, the song in particular that I heard that just went, oh, hold on, there's something a bit more interesting going on here was, uh, Who You Are. Oh, yeah. Which is just the most beautiful song. It's up there for me with, like, Into My Arms or something as being, like, rock and roll, spiritual, sort of, just really, really transcendent song. And for this, for it to be done by those jocks... Uh, and then, you know, to go back to an album like 10 and then hear a song like Oceans, isn't, I was isn't like, that fuck, the, that's isn't that, the, isn't that the irony, though? These guys weren't actually jocks, though, or anything but, and they tried to rail, yeah. they tried to rail very hard against that, but that was but, their audience. That's the Nirvana story, though, yeah. isn't it? You know, the Nirvana and the Foo Fighters thing yeah. that, um, He's the one who likes to laugh songs, who, and who likes to guy. sing along and likes to shoot his gun, but he doesn't know what it means. These were the guys. <laughs> <laughs> Our third song of tonight was number one for eight weeks and was the highest selling single of the year for 1999. And this is Lou Bega with Mambo number five. Open brackets, a little bit of ellipsis, close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. A little bit of Monica in my life A little bit of Erica by my side A little bit of Rita's all I need A little bit of Tina's what I see A little bit of Sandra in the sun A little bit of Mary all night long A little bit of Jessica, here I am A little bit of you makes me your man 
Okay, that was Mambo number five by Lou Bega, uh, number one for eight weeks in 1999, and the biggest hit of 1999. <sighs> Tim Byron, where do, where do we start with you? Well, this is just kind of the Macarena. That's <laughs> all it is. It's like someone at a record company was like, okay, it's been a couple of years since the Macarena. I reckon they're going to fall for it again. Uh, who's around? Who's around? And, and so they looked on their their things and they realised that it's this guy called Lou Bega, you know, who's apparently a German man of Italian and Ugandan origin, which is interesting, um, who was really into Mambo. Um, I, so I always like rely a, on you for the pre-research, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so they got him to do, like, you know, a version of an old song called Mambo Number no. 5 to put some lyrics on it that were catchy and about girls called different names because, you know, there's probably going to be some girl called Jennifer or whatever who's going to like the song and if we've got a name in it, she'll like it that little bit more. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to it and it's like, eh. But, like, compared to, um, you know, some of the other songs in this in this bunch of four that we've got to talk about, this has got some, um, you know, it's got some... I don't know, there's something bouncy and upbeat about this, which is nice. Like, it, it actually sounds like, you know, fun, unlike the other sort of dancey songs that we've, we're talking about this week. So, yeah, it's, it's all right, I guess, for what it is. It's, um, you know, it, like we said with the Macarena, like, it's like it, it's hard to sort of say you hate Mambo Number no. 5, because it's just there. It's just another song that does that kind of thing, and it's just there, and uh, it, I can't be bothered to hate it, but... Yeah, it's it's nice enough. The Mambo kind of thing is it's an alright beat, so yeah, it's fine. But you know, I'm not going to hear this again for the rest of my life, probably until I have to you know write about it for the Tumblr, I guess. <laughs> uh, Tim Coyle. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just does. You know, it, it's one in that vein of '90s novelty singles that invariably got to number one. But you know what? After Doing this project, I found a very solid through line there. Find some swaggering jerk with some vague world music kind of thing mm-hmm, going mm-hmm. on and then just kind of get him in front of a microphone and talk about girls. Yeah. And just throw out some, you know, general pickup artist bullshit. But we're not talking about... Um Smooth by Santana. <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> <Mambo> number five. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what's going on with it, with this song. It's just calculated to be that dance at a wedding or uh, it kind of kind of song. And yeah, it's just you know, there's nothing to it. Um, it's not. The most obnoxiously offensive song that we've that we've done in this podcast, but you know, there's there's nothing redeemable about it. And look, as far as this song and Lou Bega are concerned, the 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 only upshot is that when Lou Reed died, the number of people who confused <laughs> him with Lou Bega <laughs> was maybe the greatest moment on the internet ever. And I'm so glad we started that rumor. <laughs> Uh, Casey, I don't know. A little bit of shaggy <laughs> in my life. Yeah, a little that. more misogyny to get me by. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I don't find. I, I actually do find this a little bit offensive. You know, I, I know what you guys are saying about like it's couldn't be bothered hating it, but I just, I find, 
um, a little bit of this girl, a little bit of this girl, a little bit of this girl, and a little bit of you, like, oh, no, that makes my skin crawl. I just, <laughs> I find that really fucking creepy, and I just don't, I don't dig it at all, and um, I, I, like, what you're saying, Tim Coyle, about, like, find some guy with a vague um, world music bent, talk about girls, and and be a bit of a creepy guy with a funny voice. Like, it's shaggy. To me, like, this is shaggy. Um <laughs> And that's really all I hear in it. Um, like, yeah, like a, a different world music bent, sure. But I just, I just see Shaggy, and I hate it for all of the same reasons. I just think it's just creepy and and misogynistic, and and the I don't know the girls that go for it, and just ah, nah, I'm not. I don't, I don't dig it at all. And what about today? <laughs> Listen to it today. <laughs> um, Fuck that Lou Reed man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like his previous work in the Velvet Underground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stuff. Yeah, when Lou Baker was hanging out with Warhol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The crazy fucktard of misogyny was fine, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of maybe with the Tims on this one, which is just it's hard to get the energy to hate it. I know it's misogynist, but it comes up from a place of such ineffectually misogynist and from a dude who's such yeah. a loser. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Really? yeah. And, and nothing says more about how... The, the the persona of the guy singing this song in that in the American version of The Office Michael Scott has Mambo number no. 5 as his ringtone <laughs> like, to this day like and they comment how that song was like 10 years ago and he still has it as his ringtone like that is still so you know it is not I think it's more stupid that would have been a fun that you can imagine that <coughs> moment in the writer's room trying to figure Pop out it. what that song was going yeah, to be like, exactly. no, like they should have gone meta and just have it free love on the free love free love. yeah well <laughs> yeah but um so yeah it's not it's not something I can work up that much hate to there, it, I do musically find a little bit better than like things like the Macarena and stuff like that it doesn't sound like if I'm going to be completely hairs. forgiving it doesn't really sound that much different from like a crappy Bobby Darren novelty song or something like that. It's just like oh, overblown. You, you put a Mambo number five and Mac the Knife. Well, not Mac the Knife, like <laughs> multiplication or some fucking yeah. splish splash. Mambo number, Mambo number five was an actual Mambo from 1950 that um, basically like he's put a beat and lyrics over. So well, like there's some musical sophistication of actual Mambo proper stuff from like 50 years ago, you know. But but Lord knows how bad Mambo's number one, two, three, and four have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one. No, hold on. Police Academy one was better than Police Academy yeah. five. So maybe it's, it was actually. But Police genius. Academy is entirely a probo here because you know it's a guy with a funny voice and that's it. And the, my favorite bit, the best bit of the whole song is when he's no when he starts yelling the trumpet. The trumpets don't come in, and then the more panic, the trumpet! <laughs> I didn't like, listen that closely that's the, today. No, that's the thing, he says the trumpet like he's James Brown or something. Trumpets don't emerge, and then it's like, the motherfucking trumpet! <laughs> uh. Tell, tell us about Lou Bega. Post this event, someone, please. Tim Byron, I'm relying on you. Oh. Well, yeah, well, he had another single that was reasonably big called I Got a Girl. Yes, I, think, I remember that. that. Was, um, 
it was basically the same that. song. Um, you know, it's about a girl having a girl here and a girl there. I'm not sure if he named people. In oh that song. yes, I remember. I've got a girl in here, and I've I've got a girlfriend yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yes, okay. Yeah, it's it's the same song except it's like instead of like naming the girl, I think he's naming where they are. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't see this so much as, like, misogyny. It's just kind of polyamory or, like, just, like, super infidelity. It's just, like, he, he's just one of those Lothario kind of or guys. Or just, a, just like, a guy who wanted to advertise that he had hep C to the entire world. Ninety <laughs> <laughs> percent. A little bit of comedia in my <laughs> A little bit of herpes in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, my dear. Oh. <laughs> Our last song of tonight was number one for nine weeks all up. Seven weeks in 1999 and two weeks into the 2000s, whatever that decade is. Uh, this is... Blue parenthesis da ba d close parenthesis <laughs> by Eiffel sixty five. Here's the story about a little guy that lives in a blue world and all day and all night and everything he sees is just blue like him inside and outside blue his house with a blue little window and a blue corvette and everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around cause he ain't got nobody to listen That was blue. Man, man up, dude. Are we really gonna try and delay this for that much longer? That was blue by oh god, after sixty-five, I guess, from the album Europop. Oh. That was number one for way too long and closes <laughs> out the decade in 1999. <laughs> Look, should I start this one? Go on. This song's terrible. Go on. It is just unredeeming. But the point that I was thinking about making in um, Mambo number five, which I'll make here, I've said a few times, I mean, one of the one of the things about these sort of songs, these Euro trash songs, is that, you know, it's great because if you're a nightclub in Copenhagen and fucking English completely disappears and you're backpacking, whatever, it's great. It makes sense. That's what these songs are for, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, this is... We've talked about a number of those songs. Uh, the a world in which this song makes sense. Well, the Macarena God. and stuff like that. These are why these songs are worldwide hits. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they cross over. Mm. 
having done this entire podcast now for what forty something episodes, how can that make sense in Australia? Why are people? Yeah, <laughs> is our English so bad? <laughs> we just go, oh, blue, blah, This is a terrible, terrible song. Uh, with with no redeeming value. The only thing I really have to say for it that that uh, is of any interest is I don't know who's seen Iron Man three. No. It starts no. off New Year's Eve nineteen ninety nine, and it has this song to start off with to signal the the end of the millennium, and that's just what it's going to be known as. It was the song for that few weeks of time, and it was totally forgotten afterwards. You know, Eiffel 65 can get fucked. This song can get fucked. <laughs> Tim Coyle. <laughs> no, I'm afraid I just blew myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wanted this... I wanted this whole section just to be Tobias Fumke quotes strung together. Yeah. Um, Go on. Nah, I, I couldn't find enough that it... It, uh, it, needed, it needed to almost make sense, but not quite, and I couldn't, couldn't quite do it. So you blew it, basically. Yeah, I blew it. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just, you know what, we get to the end of the 90s and we've had um, Hit Me Baby one more time and we said, that's kind of the 2000s, we're yeah. starting to actually move towards that. And then we get to this and we're back to the real fucking McCoy. Yeah. We're just diving yeah, yeah. straight back into the, the dog days of the 90s and really bad electronic music and in a way... The, the final number one single of the 1990s was indicative of a lot that went before it because, mm. yeah, it just it just reached right back into the meaty part of the turd and, put, <laughs> and pulled this out. And, yeah, it, it's just the terrible synth sounds and the MIDI instruments and the nonsensical lyrics and the really annoying singing voice which is kind of like the lighthouse family dude on uppers and (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just unrelenting in its shittiness and yeah it's kind of the culmination of a particular strand (laughs) we're seeing the google image search yeah for the the blue character um that's it if it was the the lighthouse family guy on uppers that would be an awesome song (laughs) (laughs) well we 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 could maybe confirm that now the lighthouse family have contacted us (laughs) oh they favorited one tweet (laughs) yeah they they were in for a shock (laughs) casey what about you it's just one hell of a downer isn't it like we started this whole project (laughs) fucking love shack Like, the decline and fall of oh, the empire, like love shack people love shack and and we we have to end with this which is just which is just a shame really i mean what can i say in ter- like in terms of the song itself i really do remember it i don't really know why um it must have been like i was in sydney by this point but i wasn't going I wasn't going to nightclubs or anything oh, like this. Or maybe I, I did half a dozen the, times. But that's or the something. thing. This or is I, this is the song where you suddenly kind of flicker into consciousness, and you're at a nightclub for some unknown reason. Yeah, and the song is playing, and that, and that could well be the case. Like I, I had, yeah, I had a couple of mates that could have possibly taken me to a nightclub in nineteen late nineteen ninety nine, and um, I and 
the state a month after moving to Sydney quite well would have said, sure. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's not, there's not a lot to say here. I mean, I've got a lot more to say about, um, the rest of Eiffel 65's catalog. So, um, <laughs> it's just a shame that this, that none of the others were number one. So, you know, say yeah. the Tim, I know, it's like Jam, right? Yeah. Tim Byron. Yeah. Sailor V wasn't a number one either. It's uh, roller coaster. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, this uh, it's interesting. Tim Coyle was talking about this one being um, you know throwback to the real McCoy because I listened to this and thought this is Crazy Frog without a fucking frog in front of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like th- this is kind of like um, yeah just really trashy two thousand stuff that this sort of sounds like to me. It's not a song I remember from the time. I don't think like I don't. I kind of maybe remember the butter bee kind of thing, but like that kind of thing with the guy going, he's blue, blah, 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 and the blue this and the blue that. It's just like, <laughs> I have no memory of that whatsoever. And, and like um, the butter bee butter bit kind of thing there, like I was looking around and like there's... Butter this Butter bee. On, on the, in the comments of the YouTube video of it that I watched, there's all these people going, um, what is it? What, what is he trying to say? It's like, I'm blue, if I was green, I would... If I was green, I would die. I'm blue. If I was, if I was green, green, I would, I would die. die. No. And, and the, best, the fucking the best title of the song. <laughs> yeah, but the, the best one of those, um, like, thing of those oronyms where people think it's they're saying something else um, is someone saying, "I'm blue. I would beat off a guy." <laughs> 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 and we've come full circle to the Tobias Fiumke thing. Tobias Fionke. And, um, and yeah. Oh, that's awesome. The guy said Butter Bing, and now I just think the blue man is James Gandolfini or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm blue, I would beat off a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Tobias. Oh, oh, that's the best. I love it. Um, Eiffel 65. Um, so, <laughs> In, in my research, Casey, do you want to say? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, D- Danny just showed me something because he knows that it's kind of my favourite thing looking at these late uh, 90s artists where you look at them on um, Wikipedia, on yeah. Wikipedia and then it's their active years and then 2010 to present. Oh, yes, they <laughs> fucking reformed. Yes. Yeah, they would. They've got and just played this song over and over. Yeah, there's just going to be like eight or like 10-year-olds who like this at the time who are like, 20 something now who are going to nightclubs and they're like Eiffel 65 I love Blue when I was 8 I'm going to go and see them and then they go and sing along to like I would beat off a guy (laughs) (laughs) then they go Blue themselves yes oh god Um, I don't want to meet those people (laughs) I kind of feel that maybe this is the worst like we've saved the worst for last it's a bit like that isn't it pretty close just like Vanessa Williams yeah I really can't think of off the top of my head a song that is worse than this one. Even Lighthouse Family. Uh, well, even you know, you know songs what? Songs are the worst for other reasons. Yeah. yeah. Just but. purely on an unlistenable basis. And, and it's, it might be just age. Yeah. And look, th- this is uh, this is probably worth talking about now. Um, 
you know, as we've mentioned, this is the last of the kind of standard podcast. We're done with the 90s now. We're going to do a Choose Your Adventure 1999, but we're going to do another episode that's some sort of a wrap-up. So we might leave, like, the, the whole what was the worst song of the whole time and until then. But um, So we have a chance to research it, but yeah. you might be looking at a fairly yeah. strong contender yeah. at this point. <laughs> but to give you a preview, it's yeah. this song. <laughs> <laughs> Number one with a bullet. So join us in a couple of weeks when we talk about this song again. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! And so, so the other thing that we're worth bringing up, and that's what what Tim Coyle was talking about before, is um they have a character, who I guess the name of it is Zoratul. <laughs> um, well, like that's a, catchy. It sounds like a pharmaceutical. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it sounds like. Where's my Zoratul? I usually take two just before bed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Casey. It looks like a suppository. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll stick by it. <laughs> yeah, and he takes two. Um, and I would beat up a guy. <laughs> and and, 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 and uh, as the jokes aside, Zoratel is the blue little animated character guy in their film clips. And and yeah, it is so pre Crazy Frog, isn't it? It is just yeah. fucked. Like, <laughs> like MC Scat Cat. I just want, you know, that's... Oh, MC Scat Cat was a dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just, sure no. if we were like 18 or so in 1990 when we were talking <laughs> about MC Scat Cat, we would just have been like, fuck MC Scat Cat, yeah. this is the worst. I disagree with you 100%. Um, <laughs> I just hope that somewhere right now, the, one of the guys in blue in Eiffel 65 meets someone and he says, hey, I was in Eiffel 65 and then gets punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was you. You know there's, you know there's advertisements <laughs> where people speak back and forth? Yeah, I invented those. Happens all the time. Just, yeah. Um, okay. Eiffel 65, the career. Well, the career didn't really take off, did it? It's like they shot their wad on a dry run and had a mess on their hands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the last song from the 90s and the end of our main part of our little project. We will come back. uh, Our next show, as Casey said, will be a Choose Your Own Adventure 1999. So for you listening at home, uh, we will put up a link to the list, but uh, just Google it and see... What song you might would have chosen from 1999, we will make our own choices for next week. And then we will end with a bit of a wrap-up of these songs in the 90s. If you've got anything particular you'd like us to talk about as the wrap-up, because we haven't quite figured out how we're going to go, maybe like flick us an email or comment on Facebook or something and let us know if there's anything that you might want us to talk about. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise we'll figure it out. Best animated character from a band. Like, you know. Just, uh, <laughs> well, that's always, that's already been one. I'm oh. sorry. Scat Cat just, he's, he's my man. What Best. about Bart Simpson? Wow, shit. Well, that's... A, okay. Well, we've got to stop this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Best keyboard player with an AFL haircut. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is so many that we could do. So we will... We will uh, it will be a bit of that and uh, it will be hopefully lots of fun. So that brings us to the end of the final number ones podcast. The, uh, and uh, before, and as usual, uh, we're going to see who's what everyone's favourite songs are from the ones that we spoke about tonight. To recap, we talked about If You Had My Love by Jennifer Lopez, Last Kiss by Pearl Jam, Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega, and 
blue, blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> I feel 65. Tim Byron. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to go with Last Kiss by Pearl Jam. Um, it, it's, it's certainly not my favourite Pearl Jam song, but it's better than fucking Blue. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Mambo Number no. 5. And what was that other song we did? Jennifer <laughs> Lopez, yeah. Huh? Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Pearl Jam by default. Default, default. Tim Coyle? Yeah, Last Kiss by default. I mean, you know, it's kind of... If we're talking about turds in the punch bowl here, this is kind of... <laughs> this is the ice cube in a punch bowl full of turd. <laughs> Casey Atkins. I abstain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, like, I'll give it to Pearl Jam because, like, it, it, it's it's at least listenable. Yeah, it, it resembles the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, last kiss it is for me as well, obviously. So there we go. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam win the 90s. They win the 90s. <laughs> at the very end, pipping it in as part of our podcast. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think who wins the 90s is, is the question for, for the next... Uh, sorry. Well, that, could, that could be resolved. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's probably not. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, and that's it. Uh, if you've come this far with us in the podcast, if this is the first time you've listened to us, uh, do we even do the thing, Casey? Do you want to let people know where we are? Oh, sure. Why not? Um, so, 90%hits at gmail.com, 90%hits on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, anything else? Did I miss one? Yeah. Link. G- Gmail, I guess. Link. Oh, I said Gmail. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That'll, 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 that'll do. Yeah. And percent with percent with the words, not the thing. <laughs> we got a Tumblr. We write about stuff on the Tumblr that we talked about and other things like number twos and stuff. It's good. You should read it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's too late for really for you to send in anything that affects the show at this point. So yeah, <laughs> by the time by the time you send us anything, because you've heard it from this podcast, we probably would have recorded the next two. So sorry. Uh, <laughs> That kind of brings us to the end. Uh, we have two weeks left to figure out what happened to Mary, uh, and we'll hopefully have an answer for you in the next couple of episodes. Cue Until then, ba- cue Barbara Streisand's <laughs> memories. Until then, good night. <laughs>